Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. This week, we've got our new Globe Rhode Island reporter, Steph Machado, doing what she does best, reporting on Providence City Hall. Last week, she sat down with Mayor Brett Smiley to talk about the Cranston Street Armory, PVD Fest, and Pride Fest. Their conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. All right, I'm Steph Machado here with Mayor Brett Smiley. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here, Steph. So I first want to ask you, Rhode Island and Providence have been in the national news in the past week for the behavior of a state official, David Patton, on a trip to Philadelphia. He was accused of making sexist and racist remarks while on an official state visit to look at uh, development by the company Scout, which is potentially slated to redevelop the Cranston Street Armory in Providence has this scandal tanked the Armory Project? I certainly hope not. I uh, have been a staunch advocate for this redevelopment plan and uh, go back to my time as the director of the Department of Administration and know the proposal well. I know the competitive process we went through as a state to award Scout the contract to redevelop this property. And I've also have a long history with this building, like a lot of Providence residents that have seen attempts to renovate it that have been either not financially viable or not uh, have sufficient community support. This is the proposal that did the best by all those metrics. The neighborhood is excited about it. The city's excited about it. It does require subsidy, but any project's going to require subsidy. And we think that this is the most financially viable one. And so I'm going to keep advocating for it. And I'm not giving up on it yet. And I hope nobody else does either. The funding for the project was not in the budget that has passed the General Assembly. Is there anything the city can do with ARPA funds or anything to get this redevelopment started? Or you basically have to wait until next legislative session now? You know, I've said to the governor, to the the developers, Scout, I've said to the neighborhood that the city is prepared to put real financial resources into the the proposal. But the level of investment that we can make is, is not enough to get the project done on its own. So we can't go on its own, but we will definitely have skin in the game. And uh, how much do you think? 
That hasn't been determined. That it's probably going to be a mix of both cash and uh, infrastructure investments. They probably need to make some changes to the streetscape over there, help with parking, realign the curbs, and things like that, which costs real money, which we would find in our capital budget, and then free up some uh, some funds to actually put directly into the budget. And so we're prepared to participate, uh, but it's a state building and it requires state investment. Right now, this building costs the state millions of dollars every year with band-aids and duct tape to just keep the building upright and watertight. And so we as state taxpayers are spending money, real money, on a building that has no economic contributing value. It's not It's not an asset right now. It's a liability. You know, the argument that I continue to make to state lawmakers and to the governor is that, you know, this is the opportunity to actually take what is currently a liability and turn it into an asset. Do you think the governor owes Scout an apology for what happened down in Philadelphia? You know, that's the governor's decision. I, I certainly understand and am worried about, I've seen the press about Rhode Island's reputation. I certainly want investors from around the country to be looking, I'll say selfishly, at Providence as a place where they want to build and invest and develop. And if it is to be misconstrued that this is how we do business in Rhode Island, that's not helpful. I know the Boston Globe podcast has listeners far and wide. And what I would say uh, to anyone who might be listening is that that's not how we do business in Providence and that we welcome your investment here and everyone will get a fair shake and uh, and be treated with respect and dignity because that's the kind of city that we are. And that's the kind of way in which we do business in Providence government, at least. The other story that everyone's been talking about in Providence this week is, of course, PBD Fest. And you answered a million questions about your decision at your news conference the other day to not have open container, not have the sort of party in the streets, you know, city-sponsored bars. There's been some negative reaction in a number of circles. Do you have any plans to backtrack on this decision? The decision around the date change is final. The decision around the venue change to the Innovation Park and the areas along the riverfront is final. The thing in which we are trying to work through and we are trying to be flexible and there may be some additional allowances is for block parties or what we call extension of premises, allowing uh, restaurants and bars to kind of move out into the sidewalk and maybe even into the parking lane as a way for them to kind of host their own beer garden or outdoor event at their brick and mortar store downtown. The challenge that we're trying to work through is staffing, largely public safety staffing. When we close a street, it requires a police detail to keep everyone safe. And as hopefully most people have known, because we've talked about it a lot in the context of the budget and public safety in the city as a whole, is we are historically low in our staffing in the police department right now. And so we are trying hard, and I would like to be able to allow for street closures and an extension of premises downtown so that those businesses who have done well and seen an economic uptick in business because of PVD Fest be able to do so again this year. But we need to make sure that we can keep those patrons safe from traffic and uh, from other events that might occur when you have you know big things like block parties. And so we still have several months until PVD Fest. We're working through the staffing and scheduling of public safety personnel 
personnel, public works personnel. And if we feel like we can adequately provide a safe environment for these businesses to extend their premises for the festival, we want to be able to do so. And so that's the area that we're trying to show some flexibility and provide some additional allowances. But that decision is not going to be made because of public outcry around people wanting to have open containers. That decision is going to be made if we feel confident that we can do so safely. This was sort of a signature event for your predecessor, of course, Mara Lorza. You employ many of his former staffers who worked on this festival. Did you get pushback from them? Are they encouraging you to allow for some of this block party, some open container? You know, city staff are great. And I think that they, more than anyone, understand the trade-offs and the kind of real stresses of governing, where with every decision comes a consequence. And so there are certainly staff people who loved the party atmosphere of last year and previous year's PVD Fest, but they also saw the downsides of those too, the public safety challenges, the cleanup challenges, and the potential risks that came with it. And so I'm sure there's a couple disappointed staff members, but they also understand that that there were consequences of those decisions as well that created other challenges. Did you hear from Mara Lorza about this? I haven't. So it sounds like you may allow some open container in the context of letting a bar or restaurant have a block party on the street that's sort of in a contained area. Yeah, I wouldn't call that open container. I think when people hear open container, they think they can walk with a drink freely from one spot to another. This is more like a block party or where, you know, a business would take over the sidewalk and the parking lane with fencing or something. So you'd have to finish your drink there before you moved on to the next venue if that's what you chose to do. Got it. Another big festival this month, of course, is Pride Fest. You attend this every year, of course, but this is the first time as mayor. Um, And it's the first year that both the mayor and the city council president are members of the LGBTQ community. Is it extra special this year? I think it is for me, at least, and I hope it is for the city. You know, we had the Pride flag raising ceremony at City Hall a week ago, and I made a bold claim waiting for someone to prove me otherwise. But I think as far as I can tell, I think we're the only, you know, midsize or or big city in America that has both a council president and uh, a mayor who are both LGBTQ. And uh, I haven't I haven't had anyone. Well, I haven't had anyone raise their hand to say, (laughs) no, you're not. Uh, So we'll see. Uh, But it is, you know, I think it's great. And to some extent, honestly, and this is part of what I think both represents progress for for my community, for the LGBT community, but also for Providence is it's like it's kind of a non-issue. And that's a good thing, right? That that it's it's really not particularly newsworthy. You're not even the first. Right. I'm not even the first, and which is great. You know, it's like it's I think that's good for our community. You know, having said that, I have my own personal experience and have met a lot of LGBT people who struggle with coming out or still have challenges with their parents accepting them or other things. And so at the Pride Parade on Saturday night, you know, the mayor and his husband are going to walk hand in hand down Washington Street, down Doran Street and up Waybosset Street. And who knows who's going to see that? and how that might help or change their life. And so that fills me with joy. And again, I hope that that continues to cement and promote Providence's reputation as a diverse place that is embracing of all and a wonderful place to live. So we're taping this on a Friday morning. Last night, news came out that the Providence Teachers Union has agreed to a new one-year contract 
This contract was not disclosed to the public before ratification, just like the last one under the state takeover. That's unusual for public sector municipal labor contracts, which are typically publicly vetted. Do you have a problem with that? Well, I don't know that they're typically publicly vetted. When you negotiate a new contract with the police department, the fire department, they come out publicly, the council vets them, and then they're approved. So they're not final before the public gets to see them, right? I suppose that's true, but the back and forth of the negotiations along the way are not publicly disclosed. It's impractical to get an agreement if you have that much kind of outside public input through the negotiating process. And to be fair, I wasn't involved in the PTU negotiations that concluded last night either. But the end result is that we've got a 30-minute longer school day for all students in Providence. And that's good. The education experts around the country, everyone agrees that more time learning is good for kids. And so uh, the fact that the teachers, you know, compensated for it, but that the teachers have agreed to instruct for 30 minutes longer is a meaningful increase in the school day. In years past, we've negotiated over 5, 10, and 15-minute increments and kind of tooth and nail over a 10-minute schedule change. So a 30-minute extension of the school day is meaningful and I hope will have meaningful impact on student outcomes. The COVID learning loss was real and it's not gone away. And so if we can do have this school year next year with extra instructional time and to help kids catch back up again and, and improve the outcomes for these students, I think that's a win. You still think you're going to get the schools back in city control next year in 2024? I don't know. Uh, I think soon. The uh, the first five years of the Crawley Act are up at the end of next year, the next school year, excuse me. And, uh, and so I think that's going to be a very clear checkpoint on where we are. I know that the school board, myself, uh, Riot administrative uh, officials are all talking about articulating some uh, metrics. You know, the turnaround plan has, I don't know, like 30 metrics in it. It's a lot of metrics. It has, uh, And it's good. It's good that we're tracking all of those things, but it's hard for, for the public and for council people and the school board and even for myself to kind of keep and wrap your head around that many metrics. And so we're working on distilling down a couple of those that are most meaningful and to use that as a guide to wrap up the turnaround. It's certainly my intention to take the schools back. I know it's the city council's desire to take the schools back. Uh, and it's the governor and Ride's desire to give the schools back. It's just a question of when. And so uh, it's soon, but there's no set date. Next month, Providence residents will get a tax bill. It will be higher than the one they got last year. Do you think this is the only tax increase of your term? It's my hope that this is the only rate increase of my term. In Rhode Island, every three years we revaluate properties, and if the property value goes up and the rate stays the same or even goes down, your bill might go up. And so the tax rate, which we raised this year, it is my hope that that's the last time we have to raise rates in my term. But it is likely, just given how the real estate market is, that the next reval, which is two years from now, if your property value, the value of your property goes up, your tax bill will likely go up. You want to spend some of this additional tax money on hiring more police officers. We have a police academy going on right now that's going to graduate. And then you want to have another one um, sometime in the next year. Listen, the current academy was budgeted for 50 officers and they could only find 30. Do you think the city can find 50 more officers to recruit? It's too soon to tell. I hope so. Recruitment is a challenge that's uh, plaguing departments 
certainly across Rhode Island and really across the country. You know, I've participated in a couple of U.S. Conference of Mayors now since I got sworn in, and it's something that mayors across the country are talking about. Providence, it really does have a national reputation as an excellent department. It's nationally accredited. It's a teaching department and community policing. And there's a lot of reasons to, if law enforcement's your passion to want to be in Providence, it's a good department. So I think that helps. We're doing better in recruitment than some other places as a result of it. We're going to do everything we can to recruit that full academy. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit like treading water because we've got a lot of older officers who are eligible to retire. And and we know that when we have a fresh crop of graduates, often a subset of officers will pull retirement papers. And so it takes a sustained effort and sustained commitment to keep our head above water and to actually increase the ranks as opposed to just backfill the retirements. But we're going to stay at it. My last question on the budget was, you know, a lot of the proposals that you have quality of life issues, graffiti removal, sidewalk repairs, stuff you promised during your campaign are basically on hold until the city can negotiate new voluntary tax payment agreements with the colleges and universities. Are those coming soon? I hope so. We're making great progress. I actually don't think it'll be too much longer. The colleges, to their credit, have been very willing and cooperative negotiating partners ever since I took office. It's not like they refuse to come to the table or have been throwing up roadblocks. I don't think we would agree on on what is, quote, fair. Um, but uh, but they certainly agree that they, they knew the agreements were expiring. They fully expected to negotiate a new agreement. They also accepted that the new agreement was going to be more than the old agreement. And then we've just been negotiating over how much more. And so we're getting close. And I think the items in the budget, which are contingent on the pilot, will be able to be kind of unfrozen or funded soon enough that residents in Providence will see the benefits of those new investments. You think this summer, this fall? Uh, Yes, summer or fall. Uh, Soon. I, I would think by the fall. Mayor Brett Smiley, thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thank you. For more coverage of Providence City Hall, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. My colleague Amanda Milkovitz went along for the ride on Honor Flight Rhode Island, which brought veterans from Rhode Island to visit the memorials in Washington, D.C. and to be honored for their service. Alexa Gigas has a Q&A with Bernice Morris, Director of Education, Employment and Training at Crossroads Rhode Island. She's behind a program that helped about 1,500 homeless and low-income individuals become certified nursing assistants. For these stories and more, Go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Thank you.
Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org slash passport. That's ripbs.org slash passport.